Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net by using the Zelle app to send a donation to box13 at greatdetectives.net or by going to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 15913, that's P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And I do want to welcome Shauna as our latest Patreon supporter. She's supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. It's definitely appreciated, Shauna. And over at greatdetectives.net this weekend, check out my latest murder sheet wrote review. And you can get all my articles and reviews automatically sent to your Kindle. You can try the service out free for two weeks. Just search for The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio in the Kindle store. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Dragnet. The original air date, August the 31st of 1954, and this one is The Big Office. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to the business office. Past records show that you can expect 170 crimes to occur in the city during the next 24 hours. You don't know where. You don't know when. Your job, handle them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment... Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Saturday, July 10th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We'd been assigned to the business office, morning watch. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Gilbert. My name's Friday. I was on my way back from the coffee room, and it was 12, 10 a.m. when I got back to room 21, the business office. Joe. Hey, try to stay around, will you? I've been here 20 minutes. I've had 29 phone calls and written three reports. Okay, I brought you some coffee back. Oh, thanks. Hey, how you feel? Any better? Oh, a little bit. I don't know what it is. I ache all over. I think I'm coming down with a cold. That's too bad. A lot of that going around. Yeah. Where's Skipper? He ran over the crime lab. Want to talk to Pinker? Mm Mm-hmm. How about the pool cards? You check them? Yeah, the book's here someplace. There it is, right on that paper there. No, over there. There. Oh. Yeah, five of them out. Checks in the book. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Something we can do for you? You a detective? Yes, ma'am. That's right. 
All right, young man, my car's been stolen. All right. I told one of the officers on the corner about it, but he said it might work faster if I came up here. Yes, ma'am, that's right. Now, the car's stolen. All you've got to do is go out and find it. Just find oh. my car. What kind of a car is it? Well, it was a brand-new Chevrolet. That's 1954? That's right. Bell Air with the windows that fold down. All right. Now, we'll need to know some more things here before we can start looking for it. Yes, what's that? Your name? Avis Bowen. Mm-hmm. That's A-V-I-F. Well, that's right. There's no other way to spell it. Avis Bowen. Yes, ma'am. Do you have a middle initial? R. Hope you're not going to ask me what it stands for. No, that won't be necessary. There isn't anybody that knows what my middle name is. Yes, ma'am. All we want is the initial. Well, that's all you're going to get. All right, Mrs. Bowen. It's Miss. Mm-hmm. What's the license number? Oh, well, now, I, I think it's 1U44441. All right. Wait just a moment, please. Uh, who are you calling now? DMV. Who's that? Department of Motor Vehicles. Oh, my, all this going on. It's a wonder you ever catch anybody. Hi, Harry. This is Friday over at the business office. California license, one union, 44441. That's right. Tell them it's a Bel Air with the windows that fold down by themselves. Yes, ma'am, I'll do. Doesn't it? Well, hold on here. You sure about that license number? Well, what do you mean? Well, it kind of looks like you made a little mistake, Miss Bowen. I did not. The car stole it. Yes, we understand that, but you gave us the wrong license number. 1U44441. I remember it because of all the fours. Harry, I'll call you back. Uh, Miss Bowen, that number's registered to a 1940 Studebaker. My license number? Well, I don't know, but the one you gave me, yes, ma'am. 1954 Chevrolet Bel Air. Windows that fold down by themselves. Yes, ma'am, I understand. There must be several hundred cars that look like that. You've seen them before. Well, you act like you've never seen a car like that. There are lots of them around. Mine's light blue with a gold on top. Uh-huh. We still need the license number. Do you think you have it at home? Yes, I-, I guess so. All right, fine. If you'll phone it in to us, we can start looking for it. Well, how do you expect me to get there? Ma'am? Home. How do you expect me to get there? We'll have a car drop you off. Well, it's about time I was getting some kind of service around here. Yes, ma'am. I think I'll write a letter to the papers about this. All right, ma'am. The whole thing, right down to that TMV or whatever it is. Expose the whole mess. Oh, you're going to be mighty sorry you ever opened this can of beans. We're doing the best we can, ma'am. Well, that's not very much. Standing around here making phone calls isn't finding my car. Well, you said it yourself, didn't you? What's that? There must be several hundred cars like yours here in the city. Yes. Well, without the right license number, how are we going to find it? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Ma'am? You're nothing but a fake. I beg your pardon? You ain't no detective. The business office, room 21. It's open 24 hours a day, but it's after the detective division closes that it begins to work. While patrol units in the city function normally, the men in the business office give advice on booking procedure, policy matters, and other police business. They issue pool cars and riot guns. And in the event of an emergency, they act as advisors in an overall plan for the dispersal of policemen. The captain on duty is, in effect, the acting chief of police. On the average weeknight, the activities are slow and routine. But over the weekend, the men involved can expect to handle several hundred phone calls from the thousands put through the complaint board. These calls deal with every crime in the municipal and penal code. In addition to this, they handle the citizen traffic through the city hall. Next door is a report room where statements are taken and forwarded to the captains of the detective divisions for appropriate action. Frank and I had checked in at 12 midnight, and for the following half hour, we did business as usual. 
At 12.41 a.m., we got a hotshot call reporting the sound of shots in the 4200 block on Albany Street. At 12.43, the call was changed to a shooting and ambulance follow-up. At 12.45, the hotshot phone rang again. That's the shooting? Yeah, it's a homicide now. You gonna call a unit? Better have them check it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same address as the shot? A couple of houses down. This is Friday, business office. When you put out a call to 1K5, have them cover the shooting and ambulance follow-up at 4289. That's 4289 Albany. You got it. Right, thank you. Looks like a good one, huh? Yeah. Turns out we'll get Geezy out of bed. Well, that'll make him happy. He'll end up in their laps. Mm. All right, Joe. Bob, what do you got? Oh, you want to sit down there, Pop? Who's he? I don't know. We found him in front of one of the burlesque houses on Main. Mm-hmm. Place was closed. He was just standing out there looking at the pictures. You got a name on him? Mm-mm. Haven't been able to get him to say anything. You want to give it a try? All right. You want to tell us who you are, old fella? Come on, we want to help you, but there's not much we can do if you won't tell us your name. Doing about as good as we did. Okay, I look pretty wobbly when we stop. Yeah. What do you want to do? Well, I'm going to take him over to Georgia Street. Wait a minute. You got a wallet? All right, let me look at it, will you? Maybe there's something in here will help us. Yeah. And the money? No. A few cards here. Nothing with a name on it. What's that one there? Something written on the back. Looks like a phone number. Yeah, that's what it is. You want to call and see if they know who he is? Yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah. He just sits still right there. Officer Frank Smith, Los Angeles Police Department. No, there's nothing wrong. Well, we have a man here in the office. He's carrying a card with his phone on it. Wonder if you can tell us who he is. Huh? Yes, ma'am. Well, he looks to be in his late seventies. He's got white hair. That's right. Always wearing a brown wool sweater, black pants, and a black felt hat. That's right. You want to give me that again? Mm-hmm. No, no, he's all right. Yeah, that's right. We'll have him brought home right away. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Then we got it. His name's McKinley Dunn. He lives out on Vincent Avenue in Highland Park. Talked to his daughter. Yeah. She says they got into an argument after breakfast. McKinley here just got up and walked out of the house. She hasn't seen him since. Pretty worried about him. Mm, figures. Says she's always kind of independent. Well, better run him home. Huh? Hey, you want us to take care of? No, we can't have you out of service that long. I'll call Highland Park and have them pick him up. You want to take him over to York Boulevard and make the transfer there, Bob? Sure thing. All right, thank you. All right, Mr. Dunn. Here you are. Let's put this back in your pocket. Uh, come on, sir. We'll take you home. Thanks, Joe. It's no trouble, Bob. Tell the boys from Highland Park to have his daughter put a card in the wallet with all the information on it. Will you make it easier next time? Sure. The card's not going to do any good, Joe. Mm-hmm. The card's not going to help. The daughter says she always puts one in. As soon as the old man gets out of the house, he tears it up. Mm-hmm. I got it. Business office, Friday. Uh-huh. Photographer get there? How many? You get the story? Yeah, we'll bring him in. Do what you can. Right, we'll see you then. That's Sam in 1K5 on the shooting. Yeah. They got two suspects in custody. They're bringing them both in. Uh-huh. 
third man left the scene. Sam says the accidental death possibility is out now. Yeah. It's a clean case of murder. Ten minutes later, the officers in Unit 1K5 arrived with the two suspects. They were identified as Fred and Harriet Purcell. The names were run through R&I, but no record was found on either one of them. It was obvious that the two people had been drinking heavily. The husband was taken to the report room while Frank and I questioned the woman. I don't remember too good. Everything seemed to happen so fast. Just all of a sudden, there was this kind of noise and Norman was dead. Norman, is that the victim? Yeah. Norman Mancrief. You must know who had the gun. I've been saying that to myself, but it doesn't do anything. I guess I had too much to drink. Who else was in the apartment with you? No, you mean besides Fred and me? That's right. It's just the three of us, that's all. We got a report there was another man present. Well, then you know more than me. All right, you want to give us the whole story? New beginning when? From the start. Okay. I had a tooth pull this morning. I guess that's what caused all the trouble. How's that? My tooth was impacted and I had it pulled and the dentist gave me a shot of Novocaine and you pull it to a can, Right, I can't. I got home and the Novocaine started to wear off. The whole side of my face started to hurt terrible. Yeah. Well, I told Fred about it. I was a terrible thing. I tried to tell him how much it hurt. Mm-hmm. He's a quad. Told me to have a drink and forget it. And it wasn't long before we were having the beef. Old Fred, he isn't very bright at times, you know. Mm-hmm. He just thought I'd have a little sympathy for his wife at a time like that. Yes, Not old Fred. He's a quad. Told me to pour myself a little drink and shut up. Was Mancrete there at the time? Yeah. Him and Fred had been playing pinochle when I came home. I guess we'd been at it all afternoon. Mm-hmm. Norman was on my side. He made Fred mad. And we got to fighting pretty good. Norman was right with me. Yeah. Telling Freddie I'll be quiet. I think Fred was sore about being beat at Pinnacle. He thinks he's a pretty good player. Not long after that, there was a shot, and Norman was dead. Were you in the room at the time? No. Where were you? Out in the kitchen. I went out to get some more ice. So who was in the room when you left? Just Fred and Norman. No one else? If there was, I'd have told you. Just a minute. Okay. It was all this Friday. No man. No, ma'am, you'll have to call in tomorrow. That... Yes, ma'am. That's right. Let's go on here. You know Mrs. Regman? No. Mrs. Leo Regman? Yeah, what about her? She told the investigating officers there was another man in the apartment. Said that he left right after she heard the shots. She would. No, he's got her nose where it doesn't belong. Oh, she's pretty certain about what she saw. Then ask her. She saw the man. Let her tell you who he was. Well, it'd be better if you did. Then it ain't gonna be good, because I don't know. Did you hear anybody come into the place when you were in the kitchen? Nope. You're pretty sure of that, huh? Now, look. I got enough trouble. Me and my old man's in jail. My face feels like it's coming off. I want to get home and get some sleep. If I knew anything, I'd have told you a long time ago. Now, leave me alone. What did you do after you heard the shot? Went in to see what it was. Mm-hmm. That's all. Just opened the door and looked. Norman was lying there on the floor. Where's your husband? Just standing there looking at Norman. Where was the gun? Fred had it. Whose gun is it? I don't know. You never saw it before? I don't like guns. I don't like to have them around. I don't look at them when they are. I never saw it before. You talked to Fred yet? No, not yet. No. Well, he'll tell you the same story, same way I told it. You'll see. There's no need to even talk to him. Is that right? Sure. You already got it the way I told you. What more do you want? Just one thing I can think of. Yeah? The truth. (laughs) 
are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Frank and I attempted to talk to the husband, Fred Purcell. He was too drunk to be coherent. We made arrangements for some hot coffee to be brought in. His wife was taken to the interrogation room to wait until we could fill out the reports. At 4.20 a.m., we got another hotshot call regarding a cutting on South 5th Street. The investigating officers found the knifing had resulted from a quarrel between a man and his common-law wife. The woman was in critical condition. She was removed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, and the husband was booked in at the main jail on charges of assault with a deadly weapon. We notified Chief of Detectives Thad Brown and Captain Lorman of the shooting and the cutting. During the next hour, there were two armed robbery reports, several burglaries, and numerous fights. 5.31 a.m., Frank went down the hall and brought back two beef and cheese sandwiches and some coffee. At 5.46, we got a call from the men in Unit 1K5 telling us that they were on the way into the office with a gun that had been used in the killing of Norman Mancrief. Ten minutes later, two uniformed officers brought in a pair of possible car thieves. One of them was held in the hall while Frank and I talked to the driver of the car, a Melville Hulbert, age 19. Where'd you get the car? I bought it. Where? Well, from a lady. She put an ad in the paper, said she had this year's shop, 52 Ford for sale. You remember what paper? Well, no, sir. I think it was one of them morning ones. When'd you buy the car? I don't know. Well, you must have some idea. I reckon maybe it was in uh, January. Yeah, around there in January. Uh-huh. You take a look at your driver's license, will you? Yes, sir. Take hey, y'all. Take it out of the wallet, will you? Oh, yes, sir. Here it is. This is your present address? Sir? You still live here on Echo Park Boulevard? Oh, no, sir, I moved. I got me a place over on Olympic. How long you live there? You mean on Olympic, sir? That's right. I know. Reckon maybe a couple months. Don't you know for sure? Well, see, see, I got this here bad memory. I, I think it's been a couple months. You live with your family? No, sir. They down south. Where's that? Yawlins. They know you're out here? Yes, sir. When'd you come to California? August. Last year? Oh, uh-huh, yeah, last year. You got a job? Aircraft factory out in the valley. Had a long drive to work for you, didn't it? Yes, sir. But I got a good deal on the place I live at, see? How come you haven't reported the change of address to the Department of Motor Vehicles? Reckon I just forgot. I got this here bad memory, you know. When you bought the car, did you finance it? Sir? You buy it on time, you pay cash for it. The cash? You got the pink slip then, haven't you? Lady sold it to me, signed it. Where is it? I don't know, sir. Didn't she give it to you? No, sir. She just told me she was going to send it to Sacramento someplace. Did you get any kind of a receipt for your money? Yes, sir. Well, where is it? In my wallet. Let's see it. Yes, sir. I got it right here someplace. Pretty funny about this. What's that? Well, I wouldn't steal no car. It's pretty funny you think I did. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, how about that receipt? Have you found it yet? Yes, sir. Now, here it is. Who wrote this? The lady sold me the car. What's her name here? Yeah, I guess so. She wrote it. When did you say you bought the car? Well, January, I guess. This year, huh? Yes, sir. You sure you couldn't be wrong about the date? Well, now I don't know. Maybe. Where'd you meet the woman who wrote this receipt? At her place? Where's that? Out in uh, Westwood. I think that's what you call it. Apartment out there. You remember the address? No, sir. Haven't got any idea at all where it is, huh? Well, I was up on Wiltshire. I know that. Uh, apartment on the second floor. Mm-hmm. I think it was number B or something like that. I don't know. Right. Yeah, sir. Now, what'd you make all that big deal about when I bought the car? Eight on the bill of sale is a year ago. Oh, somebody must have made a mistake. Now, we knew that when you walked in. We're trying to find out who. 
Well, you got anything? Yeah, it checks out. Names in the book. Less Department B. Yeah, now that could be it. I know it was on the second floor. Looks right out on Wilshire Boulevard. All right, Mel. You go over there and sit down. We'll be right with you. It's going to be okay? We'll see. Now, look, I didn't steal that car, mister. I should have told him about how I moved. But I did not steal the car. All right. You go there and sit down, will you? Yes, sir. Seems to check out. Date on the bill of sale could be a mistake. Woman might have just written the wrong year. Yeah, it's pretty close to first. Could happen. Mm. I hate to give the kid his first felony booking, don't you? Yeah. What do you want to do? Yeah. Let's hold him over till we can check with the woman. Yeah. Officers? Hmm? Gonna be all right? We'll see. You ain't gonna send me to jail. No, not yet. You can wait down the hall, will you? Now, as long as you know I did not steal the car. We'll check with the woman first thing in the morning. I want to tell you one thing, though. Yes, sir? We're going to give you a break by not booking you right now. Don't make us sorry about it. Oh, no, son. Thank you. All right, go on. Get out of here. Uh, where's Jimmy? He's down the hall. The officer there will take you. Yes, sir. Officers? Yeah. Uh, thank you again. You hear? Yeah, you take care of that bad memory, will you? I got it. Headquarters, Smith. Oh, yeah. Yeah? What's the address? No, he's not here. Just a second, I'll check. Policeman out in Hollywood wants permission to kill a skunk. What? Wants to kill a skunk caught in a trap. I guess it's all right if it's the only way they can get rid of it. Well, the way he puts it, it is. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. What's that? Well, I don't know. You better check with the watch commander. Yeah. Okay, good night. We got an injured animal report. Turns out the people out there had trouble with skunks, got a permit for the traps, and caught one tonight. Once they had it, they didn't know how to get rid of it. Uh, better make a report on it. Must have been pretty funny. Huh? <laughs> Officer said we could use the skunk in the department. What was that? Officer said we could use the skunk in the department. Says he'd qualify on the target range any day. I get it. Headquarters fighting. No, no, we got the word. Where you been? Check out with the lamp? No. No, we'll wait. 1K5. Yeah. They just picked up the third person in the shooting. Three minutes later, the officers in Unit 1K5 brought in a tired-looking man in his late 20s. His name was Harry Carnell. He'd been drinking, but he seemed to be in complete control of his faculties. We ran his name through R&I, but we found no record on him. The officers also brought in the murder weapon, a 32 caliber automatic. A check of gun records gave us the name of the store where it had been bought and the name of the owner. According to the registration, it belonged to Fred Purcell. The crime lab reported there were no fingerprints on the weapon. We tried once more to talk to Purcell, but again we were unable to. We asked Harry Carnell, the latest suspect, to tell us the story of the shooting. I went up to the place to collect some money, Mank refilled me. What happened when you got to the apartment? Knocked on the door and Purcell let me in. Who was in the room? Just him and Mank That's all? Huh? Yeah. All right, go ahead. Well, I came in and said I had to have the loot, and Mancroft told me he was stony. Yeah. He said to check him tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Purcell got on his back, said he was always welching, and the beef started. You mean between them, huh? Yeah, they were both pretty gassed when I got there. You have anything to drink with them? No, no, I had a date, sir. That's what I needed the money for. I got a girl with a pretty big appetite. I was broke, and I figured I'd tap Mancroft for what he owed me. All right. Well, anyway, these two got in a big beef. Purcell told Mancroft to get out. He wouldn't go, so Purcell ran over to a desk there in the room and hauled out this big gun, started to blaze away. How many shots did he fire? Well, one's all I remember. Might have been more, but I didn't spend a lot of time counting. Just one, huh? Yeah. Well, a guy sets a clay pigeon on your head. You ain't gonna stand there. What happened then? 
Purcell pointed the gun at me. He said I should get out, too. I didn't feel like telling him he was wrong. During the time you were there, did you see anybody else at all? No. Fred's wife was around someplace, I guess. Why do you say that? Well, they started yelling at each other. I heard Mancreep say they'd bother Harriet. That's Fred's wife, Harriet. Uh-huh. I took off like a big bird. Where'd you go? My place. Had a couple of belts and then walked by the apartment to see what was going on. An old broad there started yelling about how I was the guy who ran out of the place after the shooting. Next thing I know, I got the collar on and here I am. Uh-huh. What was Purcell doing when you last saw him? I was standing over Mancreep, holding the gun, looking like a cover on a pulp magazine. Are you willing to sign a statement on what you just told us? Well, sure. I got no part in this action. Just went to collect a bet at the wrong time, that's all. Mm-hmm. Pretty lousy night. Missed my date, didn't collect the money, end up in the can. It's pretty lousy. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the only one, though. Old Purcell always thought he was such a great card player. He's a real fish. He lost six bucks tonight. Well, you're part right. Huh? He lost more than that, didn't he? Harry Carnell was taken to the report room where he made a full statement. At 7.03 a.m., Lieutenant Ray Giese from Homicide Division came in and took over the investigation. Fred Purcell was questioned, and he made a voluntary statement that he'd shot and killed Norman Mancrief. He couldn't remember why he'd done it. He was removed to the main jail and booked in on a charge of violation of Section 192 PC, manslaughter. His wife and Carnell were released from custody. We made out reports to all divisions for the follow-ups on crimes committed during the night. At 8.02 a.m., the men on the day watch came in and relieved us. It's going to be a nice day. Yeah. Two clouds up there. Might keep the heat down. Yeah, let's go. You want to stop for breakfast? Well, I guess we might as well, yeah. What do you think, Joe? Hmm? You like to draw the business office for permanent duty? No, sir, not me. I guess okay once in a while. I don't think I'd like it steady, though. Huh? Not busy enough. just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 18th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Further investigation proved that the purchase of the automobile by Melville Hulbert was legal and no further charges were made. Frederick Neal Purcell was tried and found guilty of manslaughter and received punishment as prescribed by law. Manslaughter is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period not to exceed ten years. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Welcome back. This is an episode that actually is a preview of the type of episodes that Dragnet would play in the third season of the revived uh, series of... uh, Dragnet in the 60s. Now, I should say that that third season does have some weaker episodes in it, but I think most of them were actually pretty interesting, even though they went in a different direction. Season three of the 1960s Dragnet really uh, tended to focus on somewhat obscure different areas of uh, police work uh, that were not the typical 
uh, haunts uh, that uh, Friday and his partners have been doing since the 1940s. And it was both educational and interesting as we got to see those various areas. Although sometimes, like the episode where they went uh, to a retreat center in the woods to discuss community relations and race relations, it wasn't exactly riveting uh, television. This episode sees this focus on the business office and taking us to a a very different uh, environment than Joe and Frank typically work. And I think this works okay. Uh, There was actually a business office episode in season three of Dragnet, uh, and I do actually think that was probably a better approach. The problem with this episode is that Friday tells us how busy the business office was, but we only hear a small fraction of the cases that they dealt with. So you've got kind of a show-don't-tell thing. Whereas the uh, uh, Season 3 TV episode, BODDR-27, shows uh, all of these people actually coming in and this sort of uh, madhouse, extremely busy situation that Friday and Gannon have to deal with. Now, that episode, I thought at the time of watching it, is that it did seem like almost they were throwing in every sort of interesting story and situation that the business office might have gotten into a very compressed uh, length of time. But listening to this episode, I think their approach makes more and more sense uh, because you want to, you know, really show this stuff that's being experienced rather than mostly, you know, going through and uh, narrating about it. I did like for once that it was acknowledged that this was a a temporary assignment, Uh, you know, because they're always changing uh, departments, you know, in uh, Dragnet. And it's like finally one where it's stated this is a a temporary assignment uh, or rotating duty, and not something that they do all the time. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And Scott sent an email he's emailed about Dragnet before. And he pointed out uh, that uh, genericradio.com has the script for a missing uh, episode of Dragnet, The Big Cop, from August 2nd, 1951. Uh, uh, which is about a uh, crooked uh, police officer Uh, And uh, Scott writes, what a shame this episode is lost. From the script, it sounds like an amazing episode. Towards the end, uh, the big speech of this episode is given by Thad Brown rather than Friday, which is kind of unusual. Uh, Reading these scripts also gives one an idea of how hard being a radio actor was. It's not easy to pull this off and make it sound as authentic and natural as it did. Barton Yarborough was really, really good at it. Well, thanks so much, Scott, and definitely agree about Barton Yarborough, uh, who, of course, had a major uh, radio acting career on a lot of programs, including uh, One Man's Family and I Love a Mystery. 
Uh, in terms of how unusual it was for Thad Brown to uh, deliver the speech, I think it's important to remember that probably the first really big speech that you had Friday given Dragnet was in The Big Fraud, which was a couple years after The Big Cop. In August 1951, Dragnet had been on the air just a little bit more than two years. And I don't think that Jack Webb started out to make Joe Friday this uh, authority figure, uh, particularly at the beginning. He was 29 when he started playing the role, and I, I think that Friday was still relatively young. I think what you do see with Joe Friday in the 1960s series is in many ways a natural progression. Where Friday is older, more experienced, and absolutely unafraid to speak uh, his mind or to be viewed as preaching or speechifying because that's who he's become. But that really wasn't uh, who the character was in 1951. So it makes sense that the captain gets the speech. And I should say that even in later years, the, uh, the captains will sometimes get a speech. Uh, you could hear that, for example, um, in uh, the uh, shooting board, where the captain makes the big speech about why the shooting board is important and necessary. But thanks so much for the note. I agree. It looks like a really good script, and hopefully... Uh, someday that episode will be found. All right, well, listener comments and feedback now, and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, continue through reviews. I want to provide it through a website that pulls all of the uh, reviews from various nations' uh, versions of iTunes. Uh, this one comes from uh, France and Delphine uh, wrote, uh, Just Fun Discovering the Old Homes, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Box 13 uh, Episodes. And then uh, from Spain, uh, this one comes from Javi Juan Kenobi. Uh, it was in April of 2013. Love this podcast. Bored of listening to music and inane rantings of allegedly funny radio host. I started listening to audiobooks years back when I discovered this podcast. I was thrilled. What is there not to love? Engaging host and six different uh, detective shows a week, each with their own style, but all well acted and a lot to listen to. We'll continue to listen until the host runs out of shows or decides to stop. Hopefully the latter will never happen. Keep up the good work from Javier near Madrid in Spain. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this one comes from Switzerland. Uh, and... Uh, Daniel uh, writes, Hello, Adam. My students in music and technology are creating their own Sherlock Holmes podcast. We have listened to several on great detectives to inspire creativity and story uh, writing. Many thanks for the excellent shows and your hard work. Kind regards, uh, Dan uh, Daniel in Geneva. Thanks so much uh, and appreciate hearing how the show was used. Well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon of the day. Thank you so much to Greg. Greg's been one of our Patreon supporters since March, currently supporting us at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Greg. And that will be all for today. Join us back here on Monday 
for the number three program on our short division countdown. And then next Saturday, we'll be back with another episode of Dragnet. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.